Every I think every single episode starts with us going, God, I love that music. <laughs> every little bot behind the scenes. Yeah. Woo! Hello. <laughs> Good evening. Uh you are watching, listening to Aussie Crafter Silla Shooting the Shits. I'm Luke. And I'm Todd. And with us we have uh, Michael from Cut Hill. How you doing, mate? Hi, good evening. How are we? Very, very good. And uh, even better for the uh, awesome uh, couple of samples that are actually oh. full fucking bottles. <laughs> I, I almost died on the spot when I picked up that box. Oh, this is a bit heavier than I expected it to be. <laughs> So, so yeah, well, I, I didn't know if the little hundred mil, to fifty mil samplers would would cut it for you guys and give you something to talk about a little bit longer for sure. Well, I know we'll like, definitely be using them for a while, I think. But oh yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll treat these as a birthday present. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, yeah, impromptu <laughs> done, beautiful. <laughs> You're so thoughtful. You're so thoughtful. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you for joining us. Welcome all. Um, and let me put up the little duva cuthilldistillery.com.au. Um, who are you? Who are we? Wow, what are you? And, what are we? What have we done? Where have we been? Before we get into that, you know what we're yes. drinking. What have you got in your glass? Well, I think I've actually got the wine cask, which is one of the ones that I'd sent through. The I'll call that the OG, which is apparently a South Australian saying. The original, the first ever product we sold into SA in, in November 21. So some fortunate opportunity with selling malt spirits as first product, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I can, um, good, a good little fill there, guys. You've measured your pour, have you? Good, good yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Half a pour there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Careful. Um, let's sit back and I'll tell you a little bit about a little story tell of a short um, period yeah, yeah. that we've been operating and, and looking to grow into the future. So a um, bit of a, I guess, a serendipitous opportunity with similar networks. Um, our friend that uh, big virus that went through the world and a few changes with my moving forward out of sales of wine into export land because that all got squashed pretty quickly. And then um, I guess the silver lining is that these opportunities do come out of um, some of these other interesting situations. So got snapped up by Cuddle Distillery who were at that time in kind of early to mid 2021 working out their direction got some barrels sitting there maturing and uh, brought me on in October 21 as the packaging was rolling through as um, Todd showed before a bit of a gift box that mm. uh, we've we have to hand package it takes quite a long time hand yeah, make this far out yeah yeah you need, just packing you need to, there to put the lid back on i can tell you <laughs> that's, that's right origami. it is it's awesome people people are fighting through the box just to get to the bottle which is exactly what we want yeah if you want to you want to oh. keep anything from a you know a big um natural disaster come through just put it in that box and store it away it'll be safe don't you worry about that so oh, yeah, yeah look at that it is pretty it is sturdy box, that that's one. some gsm right there absolutely so and, I, and thank you um thank you for the praise so yeah we um yeah new opportunity 2021 um packaging roll through got everything into the warehouse in october 21 packaged up furiously for around three to four weeks and then hit the market in november 21 and they started selling our liquids and yeah first bottle literally sold was that wine cask um, that you're sampling and mm. our growth at the moment is into 
around five to six staff that we're operating with. Um, we've got some other, um, you know, casual and other people that can dip in and out and help us out in terms of marketing and whatnot. And we do have Lost Phoenix Spirits on the side that does explorative gin, vodkas, peated pancetta fat washed, which is something a little curious that people don't understand yes. and they try it and they love it. So not for the faint hearted, nor the I want to, to try that later. I want to dive into that a little bit later as well. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's, that's quite interesting. Chat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, we, you know, here we are, we've, you know, we're clawing into businesses. We hope that we're getting a lot of support. Um, to what number you're a new business, right? So you're not parity on a year before or a decade before, like it's a brand new opportunity, but at our one hour south of Adelaide, High Marsh Valley, 40 acre, beautiful property. Uh, mm. We think we've just got some, some pretty incredible opportunity coming out of there. And in the end, your packaging could take forever to package, but if your liquid's not right, there's some, there's some big challenges too. So we're on yeah. a yeah we're, we're on a good trajectory now. We're in we're in some states. We don't we're not into any distributor or wholesaler model at the moment. It's all mm -hmm. distillery direct, and that's quite interesting to manage. But we're looking at how much further we can push forward um, and realise what our our export market or our you know, mm. cruise ships, airlines, what's the next bit there as well. So um, someone coming through with a comment there, bit which is great. Yeah, bit of love. There you yeah. go. Sweet Michael uh, was a legend when I met him at the Perth Whiskey Show this year. Great oh, whiskey and a really yeah. nice guy to boot. Oh. oh, I tell you what, might have been my alter ego at that point in time. Chris, no, <laughs> really appreciate it. And it, it's come down to, I'm not going to dive deep into cliches, but we're here to build a brand. So getting out into market, Flying to Perth, is that the next big opportunity for us? Well, the whole Australia and the whole world really is our opportunity. And I, I call it the the kind of the the pinky in the brain that we want to kind of take over. And we're not yep. going to take other space as such, but we want to promote Australian whiskey out into, you know, further abroad into the world or wherever it may mm. end up. And I know that really Tasmania is kind of waving that baton for us in, in the early days and to now as well. And they've got some serious double-digit, age opportunities they're getting out to market mm. and you know we yeah. want to help to ride that that wave as well so um here we are at the moment product yeah, right. and bottle sitting in front so of a was, computer screen so what was your background in spirits well in in booze before uh cut hill kind of uh all booze really bit of a uni yep. dropout straight after school and then started working in hotels at that time when i was trying to push through uni at that at that point and um, really just worked as a casual bar person as probably most of us have. Mm. I would say we've got our old RSA number that's quite quite low um, <laughs> and built and build the way up to, you know, myself and my wife managing a hotel at 24 and 25 years old mm. and then ran the, yeah, the Williston Hotel kind of out near the Barossa for a couple of years and then got moved to Port Lincoln to dive with the Sharks and run another hotel over there, which was really exciting. Um, so publican for another six years there, came back into pubs again and then ended up generalist is publican, specialist is, you know, whiskey or wine or whatnot. So then dived mm -hmm. into uh, Pernod Ricard, sell the door there at Jacob Creek in the Barossa and then across mm -hmm. to Negotiants International exporting some beautiful wines um, across the divide and beyond. Right. So it's, uh, it's been kind of alcohol all the way through and yeah. really enjoying it and then um, trying to do uni dropout probably wanted to prove that to myself, just finished off some other 
big studies, which is great. So no doctorate, not going that far, but falling just yeah. short, which is okay. Um, Still yeah, studies yeah. in booze or or entirely separate? Study. Uh, Still studying yeah, in booze no. or, or a different uh, uh, it's, it's an MBA. It's funny, though, because yeah. when you're studying an MBA or like an agile MBA, it's about applying it to what you're doing. Yep. And I reckon the last, yeah, it would have been probably every subject I've done while I've been at Cut Hill Distillery has been based on, you know, how are we going to achieve this when we expand? What's the opportunity? And my last, I think my project was based on selecting the right distributor or wholesaler and what is what characterizes the right person or business or entity to push us forward as well. So it was relevant, but it makes you generalist HR into marketing, into corporate governance, into everything. Excuse me, in between. So yeah, mm. but it's a, it's exciting. It's a it's a it's a great it's a great path, and you meet people who you can tell they're in hospitality already, and yeah. that's the really good part because they just they're, they're fun loving people, and a lot of like we you meet people from all walks of life for sure, and we're trying to do lots more collaborations. But really, at this point, getting out to bars and trying to engage with the cold faced workers that's vitally what it is and you know um thanks so much for you know chris putting that comment online like getting to perth getting to canberra for a little market that had some real spring and step for some opportunity there for us as well into brisbane about a month ago as well off to off to melbourne in about four weeks six weeks time i think it is to whiskey abbey there's some big things going on down there as well so um really getting out and engaging with some of these people who are selling our liquids and that's mm. that's vitally important. That's the people who are on the coal face. You can kind of push it forward. And mm. I mentioned about collaborations. You know, we're working with. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it online, but there's a B186 Motorsport Homage release. Did you see that one online? I didn't see that one online. Let me jump in on the website and I'll see if I can be quick and bring it up. Yeah, no, for sure. That's fine. That's so, a cool bottle. That's a cool this, label. This yeah. is really different. So. This was, you know, this is out of the box. Well, we what we presume is out of box, out of the box thinking, and we want to essentially go over and above. And we have a really quite interesting network where someone was in the racing sphere and got involved with Adelaide Motorsport Festival. And it's not just, um, you know, Formula One. It's not just, you know, um, five hundred cars. It's everything in between. And they had this connection, and we kind of built this concept. So on top of that, V one eight six. Uh, Motorsport Homage is a piece of thatched carbon fiber from the BMW B186 Benetton. Yes, so it's for collectors and it's just it's yeah. unique. So there's a thin piece of um, clear you can see on top of the bottle there, and that has a piece of carbon fiber off that race car. Really, um, okay. these are the so a reason the to keep the cap, <laughs> a reason to keep it. Great whiskey inside, dual have yeah. disc cask in there. At erring oh. on kind of four and a half years, but a collector, and then and you're finding so many people in this space, and they might be collectors of fine wine, art, whatever it might be. But then when you find that they're beautiful collectors of something that just has something prolific inside it, such as that, or attached to it, um, you know, those people certainly are around. But the people that don't get Formula One are like, what are you talking about? And that's that's fine. They they play and they love in their own space. Um, that's just the thing we're playing with. So. Watch out for a MotoGP potential release uh, early next year as well. Yes, <laughs> <to that one. laughs> so, have you always been a motorsport fan, or was that sort of your inspiration for getting involved in it? Or 
How did it, um, how did the collab come about? Yeah, so Tim Possingham, who is the owner and general manager of um, of Adelaide Motorsport Festival and, and Adelaide Rally, he had that marvelous connection, and we were just fortunate to to make that connection there. And it was literally a it was just a harebrained idea to go, you know how how can we connect the dots here? How can it make sense from the consumer? Because packaging's got to be good, liquid's got to be lovely, mm. the the sales pitch has got to make sense, and I love marketing. I say, you know, sell me on the next best thing. I, I, I get wrapped up in it and that's fine. Um, yeah. Hence the sales slash marketing slash operations. It's kind of a combination of everything there. And um, and we're going to see what the next thing is. And in, in terms of collaborations, we're working with a, an organisation, a couple in Adelaide, that it's a bespoke label that we'll actually release in collaboration with them. We did one with NOLA in the, in Adelaide, if you know Nola Bar, New Orleans inspired. So we had their team of about eight come to us, sit down, do a, a huge blend session and they voted and fought with each other and fisty cuffed and arm wrestled until the right blend came out. And it happened to be the venue manager, Jamie Frazers. That's fair. That wasn't um, cursed, I'm sure. And we released a, a label with them and it was fully collaborated, their own kind of eye on the front with that purpley and blue, which was fantastic. So looking you know further afield to say how else do we collaborate and it makes sense and it's, it's with the right yeah. partners as well mm. Mm. yeah yeah so at the moment uh, obviously you've you've so when did you start when did Cuckill launch during so it launched no it was i guess it was post-covid i say that our launch date was the first of november where we when we sold our first bottle yep so yeah. essentially yeah. you could say the launch was you know Loosely, you could say it was October because we started getting ourselves geared up. But 1st of November, we sold the first bottle. We had our trade price list sorted out. We had business cards rolled through. We were set, ready to go. We hadn't planned that as a specific launch day. And it was, you know, it was based on a few things with drivers rolling in. And you can appreciate the challenges with global logistics and, and getting products and bits and pieces in. Um, and yeah, we just, I guess we found our niche there. So we could say that 1st of November this year is going to be birthday number two mm -hmm. um we'll probably be much more organized with a small team probably for uh for a third year birthday i think probably next year in november one mm. but you've, you're already up to five did you say in terms of five years staff? Five, Sorry, five staff. Uh, yeah. so you, you've got, you're up to five staff now though yeah five in staff five probably about to explode to seven or eight which is only a couple yeah, wow. but big for yeah. our team um, just in yeah. terms of distillers getting on board as well. And we're always yep. bettering the wheel, we say. So, you know, we're distilling at four days a week at the moment, about to go to seven, um, probably mm -hmm. in the next four weeks. And then hoping to be that we can do some double shifts on days and get to about 12 shifts a week. And each shift can churn out um, one barrique of um, 112 Lowell or 56 ABV mm -hmm. um, in the mm -hmm. barrel <clears throat> per shift, yeah, which is great. Well, yeah. So you're obviously aiming to have quite a bit laid down uh, in the next, well, over the next 12 months. So by the time you hit your third birthday, that'll be quite a bond store. It'll be a bond store. It's, oh, we're thinking the pretty number because at the moment we've got what we've called these private barrel series. So mm -hmm. these were distilled up the road from us, but our management of barrels, storing them in our barrel house the entire time, blending yeah. it cutting it using filtration systems all those things to get these things out to market is is our identity and our thumbprint but our yep. single malt should release in december next year um we don't have a lot when we release but probably 
you know, 12 to 18 months from that release, then we'll start having some serious volumes where, you know, if mm-hmm. Canada are interested or Sri Lanka take a bit hefty lick in terms of export market, plus in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we go to a lot of events and I'm not sure, gentlemen from Perth, uh, got a few questions. Oh, where can I get you in, in these big, big boxes? And I'm like, we're not, we're not in there. And if they took us and put us on every shelf, we'd probably have no stock ourselves. So yeah. we're not destitute. We don't, we don't have 10 cases. We have more than that, but we don't, we don't have a lot at this point to explode, but we, we will. There's, we, yeah. You need that growth aspiration. Um, mm. Otherwise, you end up with gaps, and the last thing you need is kind of gaps in your supply as well. But, yeah, we're on oh, we're, we're in a good spot. It's, um, and then it's like it's release strategy. So stay tuned for December 2024 when we are, we are talking about releasing that, you know, you have core barrels, you have hero barrels. Uh, we've been all yeah. forever affiliated, I guess, and I say forever for not even two years, but with Maxwell Mead, Maxwell Meadery, um, and getting re re-seasoned barrels through the team there, and that's working really well. And it's, that was our first ever launch product down in Melbourne, and was very popular at the at a Melbourne whiskey show that we that we were at, uh, fortunately as well. So we got to springboard really quickly. But even at the wine cast level, sitting there sipping on that, it's just it, we just want delicious whiskey that we think at yeah. you know, and you work on price points. So we we certainly haggled over for probably a solid 24 hours to say what price point we're going to hit the market at and why will the consumer appreciate it? Do retail understand where we sit with competitors? And I'm not going to bore people on a, on a sunny Thursday night. I just want them to sit there and listen to the deliciousness that is our amber liquids, which we absolutely love. Um, but yeah, it's um, settled in at 700 mil formats across the board. We're looking at some 200 mil little three pack releases and bits and pieces too for certain channels. But yeah. you know, 150 dollars starting point, and then up from there, let's see, um, let's see what we appreciate and see what the consumer also likes. So mm. it is a bit of a trial and error, as you'd know, and then you oh, definitely expect it and understand it as well. So yeah. Mm. So Chris chimed in with uh, the two biggest players will generally only take stock if you're selling full pallets. And on top of that, getting deliveries in uh, due to time slots can be very expensive uh, due to time slots and low margins uh, on an already low margin item. Because that's the 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 eternal problem, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, people expect you to be in in a Dan's, in a Lickland, uh, and all the big... Um, uh, the big retailers, but does it actually make That's financial right. uh, sense to be in there? It comes at a bit of a cost to be in the in mm. the dance. It's interesting. I um I literally did some sums today. I, some take up a lot of my time, and I enjoy it. I've always been a maths guy. I play drums, and apparently, um, people that like maths can play drums too. So whether that's a link, I don't know. But I was literally going through it, trying to work out you know profitability of direct to consumer versus business to business. So if mm. you know people at home that understand that, basically you stand at seller door and you sell products, you can sell a full rack, but if you sell it through Nola bar or whatever it might be, you obviously sell them at a at better price and they can make margin mm. themselves. And, um, you know, I think it was on a 40, 60 split of, you know, 40% um, direct to consumer, 60% business to business. Your, your profitability, depending on how you have a spread can be quite similar. Mm. But then when you're selling direct to consumer on a seller door, you might spend half an hour or an hour with the consumer and sell them one or two or three bottles. 
Um, mm. That'd be a big sale, three bottles of whiskey at, you know, ergo $500. But mm. if, uh, if a beautiful business buys it and it's retail land, they might take six or 12 bottles in one hit. So mm. that's the convenience part that Chris was talking about as well. And you, you do lose control and you can't price fix. You can't come in and say you have to sell it for this price and you mustn't, but you know, stray from the path. Mm. You're not allowed to do that, obviously. But if you can control it by, you know, ensuring that they're getting delivered good margin um, by the, the trade price, I guess you're selling in at, um, mm. and everyone's happy, and then there's good sale of stock. I kind of pitch it to say it's it's good for everyone from both sides of the fence, and I call it selling in and selling on. So mm -hmm. we'll support. We'll say we're going to sell the product in, and we'll talk with the, you know, with their staff on their customer. Do they need more engagement? But then going in and doing. Um, training is good, but also selling on behalf of and moving mm. stock through. And um, that just says that we want to support our brand. And I guess that's maybe where we have an edge versus some big companies as well. And I don't know how everybody does it. I have been a publican and seen their side of it. And I've had some amazing, you know, brew reps and bits and pieces too. Um, but if you're not front of mind, if you're not there reasonably often, you, mm. you certainly can get a bit forgotten because it's... Um, no pun intended, but it can get lost in the wash. And mm. we want to be on that forefront. We want to make sure that people remember who we are. And right now it's, I think SA has probably got 10 to 12 whiskey distilleries. There's certainly a lot growing over Australia. It's going to explode mm. very, very soon. And Cooper's Brewery well, doing what they're doing, which is- It certainly has brand. already exploded. We've gone, we're up over 400, probably edging on so 500 distilleries now across yes. the country. Yep, every yes. day seems to be another one opening somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah. So you got you got good for us. We get more episodes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got to do it uh, four nights a week now, boys. You got to keep oh, up with oh. us. So. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk to us that yeah, frequently. Yes. Send the samples <laughs> over. I say absolutely. Yeah. Look, it's um, it competitive market, but it, if we're all doing good things and it's it's, mm. it's such a trust game, then it's it's fantastic. So mm -hmm. you know the. You know, that giant Melbourne distillery that people know as Star would have just won, won some mm. global awards and doing fantastic things. And I don't yeah. shy away from mentioning other mm. um, other success stories, I guess, because it's going to help what we're trying to do. And we do have a little bit of export that goes to China. It's not all yeah. our eggs in one basket. And we're going to stay diverse. So as if you're buying a diverse share portfolio to make sure you're more risk averse in your investing, mm. I look at mm. that and say, if we can be in 10 export opportunities all taking a little bite from what we're doing plus australia mm. plus sa plus retail yep. plus direct to consumer and really mm. spread it out when mm. global consolidation slows down and fuel goes up you know right up mm. um, and we can't export anymore <laughs> we've got australia hedging our bets do you know what i mean yep. so mm. yeah yeah so mm. the future with you laying down your own product now so um we've got our I guess, in, independent bottlings of the current releases. Mm -hmm. um, then in a year or two's time, when you start releasing your own um, distilled spirit, um, how will your product range change, do you think? Will you retain the IB side um, and, and keep that as like a, um, a, a core range? And then have your um, your own stuff as your your pr more premium uh, product. How how do you see that playing out in a couple of years' time? It's a good day for this interview. Um, pretty fresh in my brain, I will say. Um, just 
had some discussions and whatnot and without divulging things that you know you know might be out of speak that's i yeah. believe that looks like the plan forward because keeping ib is really important for probably keeping us out across the land mm -hmm. of you know australian and beyond collaborations mm. with barrels and in the mm -hmm. end you know i say to people if there's a single monster in scotland that you love and they bring out a blend and you mm. trust that distiller or that or that brew house or whatever whatever comes into you know your brain when you think about that whiskey label you're probably going to trust their blend as well mm. and that's that's the thing that i like about it so it's always been about our identity and we for instance our we've got a vodka that we do now in many eyes vodka's vodka get that part of it but we we fingerprint it with you know new make spirit and some mature whiskey that we put into that bottle as well so it's mm -hmm. got to have something of your ethos your fabric and your fiber there and, yeah. and that's where i think going forward you could be independent bother to say you get some stock in from somewhere you might do a, a tassie-esque release and then a new south wales-esque release or something like that where you maybe you teaspoon it with your products or you put it to your own barrel for the final three months and it's still ID, it's still absolutely putting out someone else's opportunity, but you might do it in some way, shape or form. And I noticed Todd just picks up a, a bottle with a pig on it before, you know, it's, mm. it could be something left to feel that really makes sense to what we want to release in the future. And we just hope the picture of that pig um, piques a few interests as people sitting in bars. But yeah, yeah. so looking at single malt, and then certainly independent bottling um mm -hmm. craftsman in terms of that in that respect and uh, you know being strict about it not just trying to grab mm. the next little bit that comes through do you get the whiskey mm. that's two year and one week old it's probably mm. going to be green bean not disrespecting if anyone else is doing that i don't know if anybody is but you've got to be really cognizant of the that opportunity and how it can have the detrimental effect to your release and really we're yeah, yeah. We've got to put our best foot forward and we think our pretty numbers about three years for a single malt release um mm -hmm. everyone else can use their own number because people might say it needs to be five some mm -hmm. people might say it's two year three month that's fine we generally um, say it's ready when it's ready yeah so the ethos is when the barrel's ready ready we'll release it and yeah. if that yeah. means it's um a slower release for, for us to let our products build up so yep. be it that's how we're yeah. going to release. So, okay. will yeah. you go down the route? Do you think of um, single barrel releases, or will you be looking at, um, yeah, utilizing your your catalog of of product to create your signature single malt? I think it's a. I think it's an early thought of a core, and then hero, and then specialty release, whatever they may be. Yep. So we know, for instance, we've got some meat casks down, which will be a little bit different. We know we've got mm. some, you know, Fino Sherry casks that we put down. Um, will they be heroes or will they be essentially blended? And our whiskies, our two core whiskies we have now is a wine cask and a fortified. And the wine is essentially a tiny bit of tawny with then another 75% of dry red wine, you know, mm -hmm. tannic style casks. But then our fortified is port tawny and musket blends that we we put together and um we know that creating a profile is like it's bringing the terroir of almost the vintage together and you know mm -hmm. so there's a lot of whiskies that say it's um released in 2010 or so it yeah. actually gives a vintage year of when it was vatted 
And I think in my mind that they're doing that so they can say, well, if you buy the 2011 release, it's probably going to be a little bit different because there was hotter summers and colder winters and whatever has changed mm. with it. And not to expect, even with our wine cask, we're on to batch, I think, three now. Four to five casks, batch three will be released in about, will be bottled, sorry, in about three or four weeks. Serious opportunity there to try something different. You could buy separate batch codes and try them next to each other. They're going to be similar, yes, but they're not going mm -hmm. to have exactly the same hallmarks. And people can appreciate that. So mm -hmm. I think core and vatting together of different barrels, building up a core is absolutely marvellous. Build up Australia's whiskey reputation, everyone wins. Absolutely. Talk about mm -hmm. it collaboratively as a community. Absolutely. Um, but then having those hero barrels on the side um, or, you know, future MotoGP release, um, what's, mm -hmm. what's it going to turn and burn there for those opportunities as well? And um, yeah, we're certainly excited for the next bit. Um, the next 12 mm -hmm. months is going to be um, tough and exciting all at the same time, just making sure we can get everything lined up and, um, uh, my hat goes off to whiskey distillers because there's a lot of troubles with it and you've just got to overcome it and the resilient ones just stick on and, and we mm. hope that, you know, we can all push through the weather together. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the weather, mm. um, Ian has uh, posted in, uh, is there any difference with a spirit run and uh, barrel in winter compared with those in spring, summer, the interaction with wood? Um, that's actually something that we've spoken about quite a lot. Um, and I, uh, I don't know what the, the climate, uh, for you guys, uh, is, but I know that in, in Crafty's shed, we always talk about summers. Yeah. So, <laughs> when, as, and when the storms roll in, certainly you get, um, that the creaking of the barrels, um, mm -hmm. definitely there would be a difference. How have you found, how do you find that in, in South Australia? Yeah, well, really good in terms of um, that flexing of the barrel that I call it like the lung that kind of heaves in and out. Um, we, in the valley, we have 12 degrees at night in the winter and probably, um, you know, 16, 18 in the day. And then in the summer, um, we certainly get those 40 plus days. Not often because you do get some gully breezes that rip down there too. Um, ferments are a little bit different, a little bit wilder when it's a bit warmer as well. Um, that can mm -hmm. change that kind of fruity phenolic that would come out without diving too much into the tech speak. And I'm not the distiller, by the way, as you can appreciate. <laughs> Have yeah. dabbled a little bit, understand yeah. that. Should probably do some more study as well. But, um, yeah, so there's certainly a difference. So running running the stills in, in colder weather or hot weather um, makes a difference. You can get um, – sometimes you can get better yield, I think. Colder weather, trying to get that condenser nice and cool – um, mm. in terms of the amount of lal or the amount of low wine, I guess, off the, the wash still as well, um, can make a bit of a difference. Flavour-wise, mm. not so bad, uh, not, not, not much of a, a change in the interaction. But then the barrelling and keeping it cold, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily store our barrels. The coldest part of Adelaide is probably Adelaide Hills. Um, and you just get a lot, a lot slower maturing. But then people will say, mm. well, if you're planning for a 10-year, and you've got it, I don't know, in uh, in Jamestown, you know, mid-north in South Australia, in a 50 or 100-litre cask, it would take about probably 12 months to, to age in colour, but the, the spirit will be very young and very green. So yeah. we're thinking that the 200-litre, so the Barrique, two, you know, 180, 220, um, mm -hmm. is a really good size just in terms of the climate and the fluctuations we have. 
And we know we pulled a barrel out that was four years old. That was our sexy Samba musket cast. We left it 69%. It was ginormous. And 100 litre barrel, we pulled out 58 litres. So it must have been stored at the top for a bit of its life before I started. I mean, you're talking exceptional. You know, that must be 10, 15% evaporation. That angel Mm. was pretty... Pretty greedy in that That's respect. That's a very tipsy angel, yeah. I mean, good old Yeah. <laughs> and actually, we didn't advertise it as cast strength. It actually came out at 71, and we thought, if it's got a seven in front, I think it's a little yeah. bit, like, we've all got sensitive palates. We all like big whiskeys if we're whiskey drinkers, but there's a, there's a level, right? And that's yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that was kind of a scotch over. So, um, yeah, so spirit running and then spirit aging. Spirit aging is, is absolutely massive, and that's why we can hold our bottle up next to a, a Scottish shivers 12 year old and, and our liquid looks darker at average four year barrel age. And, and that mm. is the difference. And it's not trickery. It's just that um, we know that the terroir is completely different. And I think that's why Tassie probably started because it's probably got the closest climate to what happens in Northern UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now the, the, the weather, the, the environmental factors that we have here in Australia and the range of environmental factors I think certainly, I think that catches a lot of the internationals off guard mm. uh, when they're expecting uh, a scotch to be, um, if it's if it's less than 10 years old, then it's going to be rubbish. Uh, it's because they, they don't have any, they don't have summers. <laughs> Correct, yes. <laughs> Although they strip off in summer at like 18 degrees and we're like, what are you doing? You know, yeah, so it's, it's yeah. more relative. It is all relevant. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, here, I hear, here um, it's yeah. it's 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 the start of spring, and we've had thirty-five degree days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's actually quite cold tonight, though. In the in my shed, it is. Yeah, yeah. look, not in the Bros in the Brossa Valley with the wines uh, with the vineyards. They actually they get their coldest nights in spring. It's not in winter because they have mm. clear sky. So all the frost fans are cranking on in spring in the Brossa Valley. Yep. Um, they get serious frosts throughout there. So um, not that even so much because there's not a lot of tendrils probably haven't even really started just yet. We'll be pretty close to starting. So the issue you have with vines is if they're growing their little beautiful green tendril and then frost snaps it off, it actually just stops growing the vine and completely stunts it mm-hmm. prematurely. So as a fun fact that no one really cares about. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I love those awesome. little fun facts, though. They're yeah. the best bit. Yeah, sure, uh, you <laughs> Williams chimed in. Uh, you're putting in a barrel at a lower ABV to counter the ABV jump due to dry air. Now, are we get going to get too technical for you? I say tech it up. Let's put our whiskey <laughs> out. <laughs> so where are you barreling at generally? So we're barreling at 56, close enough, 55, oh, wow. okay. 9. Um, so good question there, William, for sure. Um, you know, they're, they're barreling in the UK and boys chime in whenever you want, but barreling in the UK, they might put it in at 56 and eight, 10 years later, they pull it out at 51, 52, something like mm-hmm. that. It dips down, a bit of extra absorption there just with the cold, cool climate. The terroir, if you want to sound super whiskey geek, um, certainly start throwing that word around, not that they normally use it. Um, and then in Australia, yeah, certainly start it lower to then jump up. So if you're putting it in the barrel at 65, you've got higher alcohol, 
and more chance of evaporation already. You guess you're accelerating something that can accelerate anyway. So I think you're kind of adding fuel to the fire there, no pun intended. So you've just got to be cautious that do you want it yielding out at 70%. The extraction out of the oak is going to be absolutely intense. And there's some fun fact where if you've got a, a first fill cask and so that's come from a winery, might be a wet cask, absorption's really high for the white spirit going in there. There's something like 15 litres of liquid from what was in there before stuck in the oak that can get drawn out by high ABV new make spirit. And if it's 70%, you're going to draw a lot out, but you might draw out some kind of harsh tannins and other phenolics that you're not really going to want through your whiskey as well. So starting at a softer level, you're going to have to be a bit more patient maybe, but um, you know, you're going to maybe just take a little bit longer in the cask at two and a half, three years, but um, get a softer kind of impartation. And it can get too woody. I'm not sure if you chaps have trialed a little 20 or 50 litre cask and left it for a yeah. little bit as a, just, a, just a tester yeah. and ages yeah. extremely quick, as you know, but oh, yeah. um, it's kind of all wood. Hot comes to mind, doesn't it? Yeah, chewing, <laughs> on a, chewing on a branch comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, it depends what you like. It, it really comes down to eye of the beholder and, you, you guess you pull out global brands and you'd be like, oh, okay, I'll pull out a, a Balvenny 12 year old, which can be a bulletproof product for anyone from Scotland and, mm. and, and go, all right, what do I like about it? And what I want to, what I want to bring to the table with our products. Um, the, just the biggest challenge is you're putting it down now, hoping that in 24 to 36 months minimum, it's going to be good and what the market wants. And I guess we can dive into barrel program and just say that, we're trying to work out with, with the maybe people who are going to go slightly softer on a general red wine cast. Maybe people looking at something. Um, uh, there's a gentleman that came through the cellar door and he was hell-bent on Pinot cask. He said, Pinot cask is the way forward. I'm like, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So we put some of those. We're going to put some of those down as well. And then bourbon cask is, is light and soft and um, you get a lot mm -hmm. of exposure to that charring, which is fantastic as well. And they might be recharged by local coopers too. Um, and you can also play around with which we might do is doing your own charring where you kind of do a bit of shade where you literally get in there with a the char and, and do it and have a yep. little bit of fun too. And you know, everyone I mean, loves playing with fire. <laughs> that's right. You, you, can't have, <laughs> you can't have all hero casks. Any distillery that's like, oh, yeah, this is the best cask, and then the next cask mm. is the best cask. And you know, mm. people literally will, consumers will say to me, oh, that's not a catchy ass, like, Michael, what's your favorite? Like, you were there mm. serving up beautiful food from your beautiful restaurant, they'd probably ask you what your favorite meal is. Yes, you know, it's akin to that. I don't have a favorite. I've got, they do different things for me. So wine cask is is a sessioner. It's like playing poker, pop the bottle. Mm. Your mates are novice whiskey drinkers. They could probably lick into it. It's actually really, really nice and delicious. And yeah. It's like, mm. oh, you're, you're already into whiskey. Let's pop the fortified cask, a bit more caramel based. Let's kind of dive, dive into this one. Oh, mm. you like massive whiskeys. Pull out our X meat cast, 60.2%, a big jam ball, a big liquid lines cake, give that a go. So you get to kind of profile it. And I, I, I relate a lot back to wine, but I used to run an experience at, um, at Perno's Cellar Door. And the biggest takeaway people could get is they could go to the, re, uh, the supermarket and choose which cheese to pair with the wine they had. Yeah. And that was this ginormous light bulb moment to say, I've got a creamy Chardonnay tonight, I'm getting a Brie. Or I've got a Riesling tonight, I'm going to get a Snappy Cheddar. And those, those, the educational piece, it doesn't need to be that you're talking about, you know, the phenolics and the old factory bulb and the sensory. It doesn't need to be that. 
need to relay mm. it back to every day and that's what we hope that you know we can all convey across to the consumer for sure mm. well let's dive into what's in my glass at the moment because it is, is a, little a segment is a segment called what's in my glass is this a new oh, I can't well, really... it could be a segment it could be a segment oh, there you go it now little, i need to come up real... with a jingle <laughs> you do. Oh you sing it. All right. So Crafty and I did the last jingle. You and I can do oh, this yeah, jingle. We can we'll, do that we'll, yeah, we'll put our singing voices on and everybody we'll else can crafty, suffer. Crafty gives <laughs> All right. So we've got the Lost Phoenix. This is a peated pancetta whiskey. Right. I'll tell you all um, about it. Which which on the nose, it is smoky bacon. Mm. Which is my flavour. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Bacon, I mean, bacon makes everything better. We're going to have a fight over that bottle, I think. Um, well, not, birthday, not, so. not really. It's going to stay here like all the other bottles. So, <laughs> I, I met someone literally today on a meeting and she said, oh, yeah, I'm vegetarian, but I eat bacon. I'm like, that's the one thing I couldn't give up. Do you know what I mean? That's no. just the, that's yeah, my thing. So. No. Absolutely. So how is the pancetta infused into the whiskey? All right, let's do it. So I'll go back to, I guess, so Lost Phoenix. So um, www.lostphoenix.com.au is our white and explorative spirit range. So the plan with that and the Lost Phoenix or the Lost 500-year-old flame bird is the High Marsh Valley where we are. So you can bump into people in Adelaide and I've been guilty for it in the past, but now I work down there, is you'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, High Marsh Valley, that's west of the city. It's like, well, no, that's that's High Marsh. High Marsh Valley is about five minutes north of Victor Harbour. So from CBD, pretty much an hour uh, drive down there. And so Lost Phoenix, you know, we've, we've explored, we've got a vodka, we've got a gin, then we've got a barrel-aged baked apple gin. So the apples were actually baked over, that's the one. The apples were baked over at our restaurant, Lost Phoenix Farm. So certainly come down for a meal and, and pop across to do a tasting afterwards. So they bake the apples and spices. We put them into a barrel. Uh, we released this marvellous product, really happy with it. Then with the with the pancetta was another exploration into that. So the fat washing is a thing. So if anyone's dialing mm. in and works at a cocktail bar who are really deep into infusing and flavouring, it started in the 1990s in this bar called C189 in the Big Apple in New York and they started fat washing. So they had their, their George Foreman grill out the back and they'd lay their piece of bacon rasher on it and melt the fat off and tip it into bourbon and flavour it. And then they started crisping up bacon rashers and swizzling stick into their cocktails and as much as they could mm. flavour it. And, you know, you can go into um, oh, as a venue, going to come to me in Perth and you can get a, a varnish bar. Bacon. Yeah, Varnish on King. Yeah, 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 that's right. And you can get the paired whiskey with the bacon rasher, and they're all different style rasher with the with the thing. So mm, sorry, I'm getting a bit hungry talking about this now. Oh, okay, yeah. Anyway, so it's imparting. Sorry, don't have it. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's imparting those beautiful flavors. So essentially, we had our friends at Merino Meats in Adelaide Central Market over smoke and under sulfur, a three kilo chunk of pancetta for us. Um, so it's really, we actually trialled as a tabletop with some bacon and bacon is high meat, low fat. So it's very, mm -hmm. very kind of porky and meat heavy and, and full. 
whereas pancetta is kind of high fat and then that lower meat content, so it's a bit more mm. lighter imparted. So essentially, lost flavor. Meat. Sorry, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That is flavor. So we had uh, Lost Phoenix Farm render all the fat off for us. We brought some beautiful uh, port cask across to them. Uh, that slightly warmed up, and then I guess you kind of put the fat in there to impart the flavors. And there's a mm. there's a technical chemical term which would bring that flavoring across by molecule from molecule to molecule that I'm not really privy to, but essentially impart some flavors, and then you chill that down, skim it off, and filter it. So it's not mm. made with pancetta we'll call it but it's had some flavor imparted across as a barrel would impart some flavor across to the whiskey yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. this so then we actually um saw some um local peated whiskey from uh from someone locally in adelaide um that we mm-hmm. yeah we don't do peat ourselves but their peat bogs mm-hmm. about half an hour from where we are so it's a fluoro oh, nice. bit more earthen less kind of orkney islands briny and salty and so it's got about kind of 5% peat in there for that smokiness. It's got some beautiful pork casks. So sweet pork cask, that kind of smoky peat. And then you've got that kind of, when it finishes, it. I kind of explain it like when Homer Simpson coats his mouth with the wax to eat that hot chili. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. You get this savory round oily ball at the back of the, at the palate there. And it's just marvelous. Mm. It's a food pair. It's charcuterie board on a Sunday afternoon that whiskey with food and the amount of people that I meet that didn't know you could pair whiskey with food. Now I know you can pair it, go to lots of events where they're paired as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it's just amazing. And we did that. We did a, we did a lunch at also on um, Kensington road and Rose park, just kind of east of the city. And we did a full like gin um, cocktail as you rolled through and then paired up this meal with these beautiful whiskeys and finished off at the end with the, with the B186 homage, which was fantastic. So yeah, that's, Peter Pancetta, I think, bar anything else in the venue that it's in, people should see it on shelf and be like, what on earth is that? And then yeah, we've essentially yeah. done it for and them. If you do see it, in... give it a go. <laughs> yes, it's, it's good. It's I would love like to, I'd love to pair that with breakfast. Oh, yeah, that could be my new breakfast whiskey. That's mm. Breakfast Thank whiskey. We called it the wrong thing, didn't we, really? Um, you know what, if you make it, so there's a, there's a cocktail that Americans make or it's from America called apple butter old fashioned. Now it's not Mm. actually apple butter, but it's apple puree. So if you make an, basically an old fashioned whiskey, dark demerara, sugar syrup, cocktail bitters, um, and then you actually put a little bit of apple puree through it. If you do it with this, that whiskey with apple Mm. puree, it's kind of like the pig with the apple in its mouth, that kind of matrimony and it's very very good um uh yeah i can pizza time i reckon (laughs) (laughs) it's time to second dinner we should have done this we should have done this talk at about 9 a.m yeah well either either a couple of hours earlier or uh tomorrow morning Um, yeah absolutely missed opportunity Mm. i love i love the 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 fusion of uh of of food and alcohol i love that so much and that so that's a new technique that i haven't heard of um so what do you call it so that was called a fat wash yep fat washing yeah it is absolutely you're you're putting the fat and the the spirit in together and then chilling it down the fat cools it's imparting some flavor 
and then you're skimming off the the liquid and and, and aging it at that point yeah well it, it's already been aged so fully mature whiskey this is yep. like getting this done right at the end and we yep. actually yep. if you get down the cellar door if you if you mm. like that kind of that that meat that kind of savoriness at the end we've actually done we've got batch two just bottled up and mm. batch three um we've actually made a a super heightened extra kind of fatty that's not going to be for everyone but we're mm -hmm. going to just release that at Celador only with about 100 bottles and let's, we're going to see how that goes. So people try this product at Celador and go, wow, I'm really yeah. loving that kind of savory yeah, ball. It's just like, yeah. buy one of them, get one of these guys on the what side. Do you do, what do you do with the fat after you've skimmed off the liquid? The um, uh, Yeah, so I think, I mean, the plan was to try and use it in a way back into. It's like with our like back into the cooking, I guess, in the restaurant. So we tried to do that with the barrel gin where we had the Oops. No, the we lost him for that. Hold on. There you are. You're back. <laughs> don't, don't hit that button again. <laughs> no, <that's... laughs> um, and we'll never know. Through. <laughs> you know you're not to say anything about what you did with that app. <laughs> <laughs> is that like the beep button, is it? You just yeah, bleep it out. Yeah. <laughs> No, so yeah, we, we try to use that the apple back into it, but by the time we'd scraped it out and kind of sat for a couple of days trying to learn that process. So the fat at the moment not used right now, but we we want to know how we can actually use that back in there. So restaurant can actually use, um, yeah, nice one there, Ian. Grease, um, grease the inside of the cask with fat. That would be one way to. Do you know what? I love the thoughts. I think Ian's on our think tank board now, really enjoying it. We can sit yeah, there and drink whiskey and, and talk about because that's what it's that's what it's about. It's just yeah, what's yeah. That? Uh, black pudding scallops with a dram is ace. Wow. Mm. Well, I actually have never had black pudding. Oh, nor I have I. The idea of black pudding. That's why um, I've never tried it. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Yeah. <laughs> so his favorite breakfast for a while there. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. It just seems wrong. It does. It does. Oysters, on the other hand, mm -mm. scallops. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, fuck, I'm hungry now. God damn it! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Apparently, they do Tasmania so, have the scallop pie. That's their thing, isn't it? Down in Tassie, you heard that? Oh, uh, yeah, I've heard pie. of it. I just I haven't had it. I think I uh, cooked scallops for me is that would sound like something around Warbs Harbour. Probably, oh, fuck, but, I want to go there too. Speaking of yeah. Warps Harbour, right on my desk, there's a nice one there. Ooh, um, okay. what, yeah, it is actually, it, it's it's a lovely dram. Yeah. Uh, very, I'm, I'm limiting myself. Um, getting back <laughs> to to meat and food with spirit, because I think it's it's not done enough. And I think... You're welcome. One of my, one of my favourites in that vein is the black snake pechuga right and it is what now is that? The pechuga so it's an agave spirit yep agave spirit um so traditionally your 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 pechuga we got rain sounds like rain oh, i've got a hole in my roof shit i may have got a little bit heavy-handed with the pruner and um is it that size hole well, it's around there somewhere. It's all right. It'll drip on you first. You've got oh. your hat. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so a pechuga will traditionally have a chicken, and they they literally hang the chicken inside the still, 
and um, as the the still's running, the vapors are, are going up. Steam is cooking the chicken. The the fat is dripping down back into the into the wash, distilling and and going up again. Um, so you end up with with the chicken. The the fat imparts a real sort of um, creaminess to it, which I I do think you get a bit of that creaminess from. I mean, pig fat is pretty, yeah. Funny you talk about that. I say, I say, watch this space for something from mm -hmm. us on that. Not oh. saying anymore. Excellent. Yeah, get get on their list. Is what yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the the black snake pechuga though is not using chicken. They're using right. kangaroo. Wow. Okay. So it's a pechugaroo. And how did it come up? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as because because kangaroo is, is a fairly lean meat at the best of times. Yeah, um sure. there is a creaminess to it, but not as much of we need to get ourselves a bottle of pechuga. Like Mexican pechuga. I, I, I do have one. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We need to try not, we'll try not we'll, tonight, we'll side by side yeah. them. Yeah. Um <laughs> but definitely that's I think those those techniques are things that I I love. I love hearing about and seeing something new. And and the fat wash that you've used there in the Lost Phoenix peated pancetta whiskey mm -hmm. at fifty percent is um yeah that really does tickle my bacon bone. Mm. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> if anyone's um. Yeah, if anyone's up in Brisbane dialing in at all, you need to get to uh, probably some row um, and have a little cheeky sneak of that one that's literally on shelf there. And then also, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Uh, Char the also, barrel with burning pig fat. That's a good idea, you Well, know, You know what? That is, yeah, we've got to, yeah, we, we need to get that weird space where you're just, you're doing something a little bit different. And yep, like, yep. I want to, uh, yeah. I'd love to do something like that just for for different impartation and um you can you can do cheese washing cheese fat washing cheese fat washing so we're gonna right that is something we're gonna a bit that making more than cheese though is that just oh look i've got i've got a soft spot for both the blue vein cheese Wash, yeah. mm. could add a new flavor. It's a anyway. whole nut, yeah. Gorgonzola, something a bit big, something yeah. That's a, that's a little bit of that's a bit oh. of funk. That's a bit of funk to it. Why are we back talking about food? Yeah. Seriously, sakes. Yeah, All I've got is mint. Do you guys want to go get grab yourself some food? We we might we might have to. Uh although if it if it is rain that's just started, it is yeah. now unlikely. It's unlikely we're going. <laughs> so just so stick, we've uh, got whiskey. Yeah, mm. we'll we'll just have to stick to that, absolutely. I'm gonna put that back up on the screen. Now, actually, that raises an interesting question. Um so you've got the two brands. You've got your cut hill and your lost uh lost Phoenix. Phoenix. How do you find managing two separate brands like that? Um, and, and did that come about purely to be, to have that experimental arm and not sort of dilute your more premium whiskey brand? How did, how did that come about? 
Good question. It's uh, it's a good talking point as well because I guess there's a lot of ways that you can build into business. Essentially, we didn't write a 50-page document to say this is exactly our brand plan from when we start from day one. And we've been evolving. So it made sense that Cut Hill could be a whiskey brand. Um, just quickly on the Cut Hill, about five kilometres up the hill from us, there is a beautiful dry rock wall. So dry rock wall is not made with any mortar and that's mm-hmm. called Cut Hill Wall and that was built for safe passage into the area. That's why we're called Cut Hill. And it's a little mm. bit harder to see, but this is kind of across the top here is depicting a little bit of the, the top stones that are capped on top of the wall. Oh. And then behind below, it's just really subtly and that's going to become more pronounced as we continue marketing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're named after that. So it's, it's we're about the region rather than saying, you know, talking about the region all the time, we can kind of keep dropping notes about the region as well. But then it's to say, Cut Hill is serious whiskey, Lost Phoenix, exploration of other spirits. And we could have mm-hmm. done Cut Hill gin, Cut Hill vodka. Would that make sense? Well, in this way, we've really been able to flex a lot more to say the reason that Pancetta whiskey is under Lost Phoenix, not Cut Hill, is because it's not as serious and straightforward down the line like our Cut Hill whiskeys but it's still mm. a very serious whiskey. It's still mm. very flavoursome. It doesn't have jelly beans mm. and red skins right in there, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's trying to find um, where that's going to play and keep um, earning and burning, I guess, its identity. So, for instance, we've got a coffee vodka, um, and then if pundas quickly explain it, um, who, are, who are dialing in, when you make whiskey or beer, you chew up all the grain in the grist mill, and then that drops into your mash tun, and then you into your fermenters, and then through your stills, essentially, when you do the, do the spirits. And we actually went and bought 50 kilos of Costa Rican coffee beans from DeGroote Coffee Roasters 15 minutes down the road at Port Elliot and threw them mm. into the grist mill. So the whole distillery right. smelled like iced coffee. It was marvellous. Oh, nice. It was the best yeah. the best it could ever smell. And then that got chewed up into the grist mill, um, hydrated into the, the mash tun, got you know fermented and then distilled off. So it's completely clear, but it tastes mm. like this beautiful nutty kind of almond husk s going on and it's absolutely oh, marvelous wow. is it sweet no it's not liquid does it have coffee mm. essence put in there nope it just if james bond wanted a breakfast martini dry he would be <laughs> having this with a bit of coffee-esque and if you make yep. it with a little bit of like squeeze of orange oil you get this kind of jaffa come out so oh, rather than being no. like the next coffee liqueur which people do and people do a marvelous job of it yeah, this yeah. is like dry martini style. So we've got a venue in Canberra that are doing a clarified dry martini with it and it's just absolutely marvellous. So, you know, mm-hmm. Lost Phoenix will keep playing like that and that's where you're talking about the, the protein hanging in the still and we've, we've already spoken about it, got that set up with our hooks ready to go. So we're going to see what that right. looks like, um, what it turns into. Obviously that vodka it's got beans in it so we can't call it whiskey but we've thrown little 20 litres into a barrel. Let's see what it looks like after six months, you know. So it'll be a barrel-aged coffee vodka for something different and yep. maybe the punters will like it. And that's where the, as you would probably find as well, Crafty, you just play around with these weird and wonderful things and every so often something oh, yeah, sticks and yeah. picks your interest. And, that, you know, a lot of businesses get built like that. You start making it for friends or heaps of wineries start like people just mucking around at home and then they start selling cases to friends, not bottles and not giving them away. They're selling them and then they're like, hey, we can make a wine business out of this. And then it evolves. And that's the amazing part. And Mr. Penfold used to walk up the road to Mr. Cooper's and they trade Grange and Cooper's Red Label. Like that was the mm. thing. 
that's how it all started walking up and down the torrents and and look where they are now it's huge oh, indeed uh there's a damn good question uh circle of life does the local pig community get fed the spent draft so keeping a bacon whiskey cycle going you know, it, it could be. I should be taking notes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and watch. That's this. right. This is being recorded, <laughs> awesome. so watch it. Look, look. Our circle of life is um, we can reuse um, water going through condensers. We send our spent grain to local wagyu farmers. Um, mm. We're working out other ways in terms of particulating water and you know building. You know, do do your build wetlands like how far do you go just in terms of yeah. what you're trying to achieve at the distillery and it's it can all be pretty on the facade but you're going to make sure that you're completely sustainable so mm. um yeah do we consider that everything that goes in can kind of come out in certain ways so i was even chatting with a gentleman who does um hemp packaging in adelaide and i'm mm. like if we could do hemp boxes or something like that or work on closures or bring our our carbon footprint back you know do we have to buy certain things from around the world or can we source it all from australia and what does that look like just on the other end because in mm. the end if things become too expensive and i've even had um you know far off export lands going was whiskey in australia is so expensive it's just like it just costs a lot to produce and mm. power costs and transport and all these other things and it's it's not getting down on that it's just it's just working out how you market it and i mm. <laughs> i actually had I went to Perth and I caught an Uber and I was driving, we're driving along and the Uber driver goes, Michael, what, what are your USPs? And I'm like, Uber drivers don't ask what unique cell points are. They don't, you don't dive deep. So I'm like, how's your day? Do you have kids? Where's the local fast food restaurants? You yeah. know what I mean? And we How long have you been an Uber that. driver for? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we ended up, and I love, I love chatting with, you know, just the people who you meet and, and he actually stopped and he sat there for probably five or ten minutes and we just chatted some serious noise, which was great. Um, you mean to, to uh, your box, him, Carlton. Um, we just started chatting about, you know, unique sell point and how you get out into market. And there's so many whiskey distilleries across the world. And then there's a lot in Australia that are evolving now. And how, how are we different? And I, I pitch it to say, you know, we, we have a tenacity to, to find interesting markets and the B186 is a is a left of field opportunity that we thought we could release and have some some serious good time with. That Lost Phoenix Peter Panchet is something different as well. But our our route to market and how we can push through to get our route to market out there to consumers, we think is really really important. And as I said before about growing a, ba a brand, if you just want to sell a product and make money, um, maybe you just sell into some big box and and get on with it and let it let it sail at lower margins, as I think Chris mentioned before, and um, it might do its things completely out of your hand, and that just might be a business model that works for you. But, you know, growing that brand and that route to market to go, you know, maybe maybe no one's in Darwin and there's actually, you know, head per capita, the most whiskey drinkers in Australia, for instance. So does everyone do data collection? Do you start diving into those things? And that's where the sales come into it, but the marketing, marketing comes into it. And even that study of my, my MBA studies is going like, you know, You've got access to all these data points to bureau bureau of um, statistics that you can start asking all those questions and then you become a really considered very strategic business model and yes it's about selling booze but it's how do you sell that booze and we could probably all comfortably walk in and go if we had australian whiskey for 
$30 a bottle, we could all sell it. Yeah, for sure. It could be in every cocktail yeah. and every bar and whatnot as well. And is there margin there? Or, you know, how's it getting made? And you try and answer all those questions as well. And, um, you know, our probably our opportunity, there'll be certainly products that'll be going north. And our, our Keystone releases, which are individual casks, they're up, you know, the last one released at two ninety nine. Still really good value at that sixty percent ABV as well. You know, are we mm. are we releasing a thousand dollar bottle tomorrow? Certainly not. There's got to be a case to plead, and you know, we just think we just hope that consumers continue to follow. And you know, Chris and Co. Of Perth, if we pop back up over there and they come back and shake your hand and say hello and remember, then that's mm. that's that's soft values converting into warm because these guys have got the our liquid on lips, and we have mm. to have that. I'm not going to commit. Even people buying a $15 bottle of wine would often not buy it if they didn't know what it was. That's a $15 wine, not a $150 whiskey. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, recommendations a long way. And if we can be in a lot of venues, people can go, oh, I saw your product in that venue there. Or I saw you at that beautiful whiskey show that was, you know, you're involved in. We can be involved in more and there's a, there's a cost versus outcome. We need to make sure that we, we cover that off. But... Um, if they give the right exposure, we've been in a few kind of spirit fests and settle the door and things like that in, in Adelaide, and that's working really well for us. But maybe we need to pop out up a simple little Fleurio Peninsula market down where we are and make sure that we're we're beating that drum and, and waving our flag for Cut Hill. Mm. Mm. Well, look, I'm I'm definitely waving your flag. Yep, the, uh, the, the the Cut Hill uh, wine cast is uh, absolute cracker. Uh, the uh, if you're aching for some bacon. Uh, then the Lost Phoenix uh, Peter Pancetta is also uh, absolutely fantastic. I do, oh, you know what I want to try? I want to try that with a long raised dark soda. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Yep. Yes. Fuck yes, well. I do. Long raised. Long raised being one of our sponsors. Being one so. of our sponsors. So, yes, they are. Full but it's disclosure. also really good shit. It is good. Um, I just drank my last fucking bottle. Damn. <laughs> Otherwise, I would definitely do that right Dang. now. But that, I think that would work amazingly with that. I yeah, well. I think that would work very well. Hey, yeah. we do. Long Rays do a dry ginger or a ginger beer, do they? Or? Uh, it's so it's a, it's a dark soda. Yeah. Um, actually, do I? I think they're about oh, It's got the real cola. That's oh, right, yeah. Just talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves. He's, right. he's gone off to wade through the garbage or something to find the bottle, so. What I can say yeah, is that I'm really glad that we went by accident um, the red wine cast first and then and then this one because if we went that first, it would have we would have lost the. Um, yeah. Oh, we we would have lost we would have lost this one. So yeah, both and we, and you, you probably both do the same where you you try things in quite a specific order sometimes you know really intentionally because you know it's bigger or it's more ABV or it's you know, different cask iterations as well. And it's it's funny, the last the last event I did that was in Brisbane, I think I had I had the wine cask, I had the the B one eight six musket. So, you yep. know, pretty sweet musket style. And then I had the mead cask and then I had the Peter Pancetta. I had kind of four corners of the earth it felt like they were very different. <laughs> so it almost it almost wasn't progressive. I normally have one into fortified into a keystone and something different. So I kind of jumped all over a little bit, and I was good to tr get test people to try their push their palate out a little bit more. And I always generally take a little bit of um, uh, new mate spirit for them to try as well. I think that's really mm. important. Um, and the big I always whiskey, like taking people on a journey. 
That's the first thing I say. Do you want to taste that or do you want to go on a journey? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they'll ask for the journey every time, right? Every time. Every time. Um, there you go. Long Ray's dark, dark soda. soda. I did have one more in the fridge inside. Oh, thank you so much for that. Cheers, Biggies. Happy Cheers. birthday, Luke. Thank you. So I have poured in some of the uh, the Los Phoenix Peter Pancetta. Fantastic. I'll let you enjoy that. I always say to consumers, I talk to them and I say, drink it how you want to drink it. And if mm. you want to mix it, is that how's that going down? That works well. It's going down well. If you want to mix it with something, <laughs> mix it with that. Mix it with this. Uh, uh, so <laughs> look, Yes, they are a sponsor, and we're very, very appreciative of that. Um, but that stuff is just gold. Um, I, I, I generally don't like a whiskey mixer at all. No, it just I, I prefer to have my whiskey straight. But on a hot day, even a cold day, I quite enjoy one of those with a dram of some form. Um, and it just works so so well. Um, so they've they've done they've actually made a fantastic product in that the long yeah. rays dark soda. And um, it's not it's not just CO two infused to get it carbonated. They use some special technique, so it's not really yeah, herpy. It's um, something to do with. Um, is it bottle carbonated or not? No. It's it's a. Uh, 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 they're probably going to tell us now, but it's all it, it, right. If you go to um, go to our website, you can go to episode sixty-one from July twenty this year, uh, or jump onto all your podcast places. Uh, we had a chat um, with uh, with James from Long Range, and he went through the carbonation oh. process and everything. So definitely do that because that was quite interesting. And also, while I'm, I've spent a little bit of time on our website over the last week and a half, um, and I'm pretty happy with how it's turned out. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a nerd out there that goes, oh, but you could have done it this way. <laughs> Fuck off, I didn't. Yeah. Look, you, you sound pretty proud of yourself, so just keep going, Luke. <laughs> yeah. Um, Darwin, talking about Darwin, uh, Willing Distillery up in Darwin, uh, good insight into the challenges of uh, yeah. aging spirit and right. distilling in the top end. In the heat. Mm. In the heat. In the heat. Yeah, they've got some like distilling and aging is is challenging at the best of times. Doing it up there where it's fucking hot all the time. Oh man, just another level. Um, so Heat's definitely changes have... everywhere. I'm sure. Yeah, they'd be oh. they'd be trying to chill down every every part that goes into the distillery. They have to chill down. Like we actually yeah. don't. We don't chill our our um, um, our wash our wort, sorry, to our fermenter. We don't even chill through a chill plate. We just let it drop in. But it goes through a pipe that goes through the concrete foundations, so it actually gets a little wow. bit of chill anyway. So mm. that's. But in full summer, if it was a forty-two degree day, we'd possibly say don't don't brew on that day. It would just be a little bit yeah, too hot. Right. Yeah. But for those guys would be pumping latex you know anti-foam through their ferments and everything that would be really hard you have cooling jackets on just their fermenters solidly like ours are yeah. ours do let, alone, let alone let alone barrels that are sitting there for years 
I reckon I'd be probably starting at hogsheads. You'd probably start at that much larger format because you get lower, um, as you gents would know, you get a lower angel share of larger volumes as well. Um, you can drop it down to a couple More of difficult percent. to store, though. More difficult to rack and store. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, all sorts of challenges. It's quite, yeah, it was very interesting have a cha- having a chat with uh, Dave from uh from willing that was episode 27 back in 2022 uh april that was a while ago wow um look thank you so much for joining us uh it's been lovely chatting with you um thank you everybody for joining us and for your questions um while i do the wrap-up if anybody wants to post a last final question if you can type fast enough i'll put it up on the screen um we do have a book that you can buy we didn't write it we have nothing to do with the actual creation of the story uh we won't take credit for that but if you want to know the history of uh jim McEwen, uh brooke luddy um uh, fascinating absolutely fascinating story for a all, few other places. and a few others yep yeah. um it is uh yeah first release it's beautiful Thick book, lovely for the coffee table or for the whiskey table. Uh, you can get that from our website, uh, Shooting the Shit. It's a very easy read, and if you've ever heard Jim McEwen speak, you can sort of get in your head that he's speaking to you in a, in a Scottish accent. See, I, that's that's half the fun. It is, I it think, is, isn't it? And this is how he would have sounded when he was reading this. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when I get really drunk, I end up Scottish, so... Right. I can't imagine myself reading. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you all again. Thank you, Michael, for uh, for joining us and, and telling us all about uh, Cut Hill and making me really want some fucking bacon right now. Yeah, all right. Basically a doctor. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone. Please do uh, like and subscribe. Uh, thank you, Ian, for chiming in. And uh, there you go. Cheers, guys. Look forward to try and visit Cut Hill next time across uh, mm. SA. And uh, William, thanks, Michael. Thank you all. We will be back next week, next Thursday. The event is already up on Facebook and YouTube. That's going to be a yeasty deep dive. Um, we're talking with uh, Mogwai who is also another one of our, our sponsors. We've I've never spoken to him before. Um, I've only spoken to him on the phone, but it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting. It's going to be all about yeast. Yeah. And I think that's going to be fucking fascinating. So be prepared for me to make some yeasty jokes. Yeah. There'll be and lots of yeasty jokes. Yes. Probably at, at Craig's expense. Probably at Craig's expense. Yeah. Definitely yeah. at Craig's expense. Yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> join us next week and uh we will catch us all then yeah uh stay tuned for a word from our sponsor <laughs>